After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, everyone. This is Mind Rolling, back this week with Simrit. And many of you may remember Simrit. Well, you probably know Simrit just for her incredible musicianship and wonderful songs. And uh, But she did uh, last month uh, one of our Instagram Live Ramdas Soul Land series concerts. So uh, welcome to Mind Rolling, Simrit. Thank you so much, Raghu. Thanks for having me and inviting me on your show. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, and everybody, by the way, you can still check out uh, that live, and this is all uh, live music from each of the musicians and artists, and you can check Simrad out. Just go to IG Ramdas, uh, his channel on Instagram, and everything is sitting there. Or you can go to ramdas.org and uh, navigate your way over there as well. So... Uh, I, I am like one of the things that, uh, happened that particular night was, uh, that Simrit performed with, uh, basically one person and he played Kora, which is an African harp, which I'm very familiar with. And back in my record company days did, uh, several records with different Kora players. I just love it. It is so fantastic, melodic and rhythmic and just uh, just incredibly in harmony with the, the heart chakra, I think. Oh, but, uh, that to me is like a fact. <laughs> it's yeah, so right. True. It just, you can't help it. Yeah, you can't help but feel the heart. But, but um, I do, I'm sorry, I forgot his name and we should credit him. Salif Bamakura. We have been bandmates for 10 years. We've been playing together, actually. And um, he plays in the Simrit band. Mm. So mm -hmm, he's a main component of the band. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, of course, in all the the concerts on YouTube and so on. Uh, But I think for where we are right now, in terms of having uh, a little chat there will be some people who maybe haven't heard your music before. And we, sure. so we need to, to uh, just share that with them. And uh, so the track that was on the IG live is called Guru Ramdas. Yes, there was a guru within the tradition named Ramdas. And um, so I want to just play this. Uh, I don't think we can play the whole thing because it's long. <laughs> 
but uh, just, in, I mean, I would, but my the people that run me and run the show say, well, you can't do the whole thing. Because I want to do two songs. I'm going to do one later on that I love as well. So here you go, uh, Guru Ramdas, a track from the Instagram Live Ramdas Soul Land series. Oh, 
so everybody got this beautiful interchange between Simrit, her voice, the harmonium, and the chora. I mean, pretty outstanding. Uh, and the way I don't have you done a lot just with him? Yes. Yeah, you've do. done a lot of acoustic stuff just with him. We have. Oh, yeah. The the really. Um, He's, he was my, I've played with other people in bands before, but he's really my longest standing bandmate at this point. We're going on a decade, you know, 10 years. And this was even before we were touring together, but we have been playing uh, yoga workshops together. You know, Jai Dave will teach and we'll play the music for anywhere for an hour and a half to three hours. And we will play like this. We won't rehearse. Um, and we just play together. We have such a deep musical chemistry and um, it's it's grown mm. even more over the years. And it's just such, I feel so grateful to be able to have a musical chemistry like that with somebody because first of all, I love the Cora. Um, but when Salif plays, he goes so deep into the heart instantly. And we just have a, a beautiful match. You know, our energies match musically, mm, but yeah. um, energetically in the music too. And, and the music is just very celestial. And I don't know how to explain it because like you were already talking about the Cora sound and the vibration of it and everything. And um, yeah. And, and the two of us have been playing like this together for 10 years. So mm. it is very natural for us. Mm. Yeah. You, you guys are way in tune with each other. <laughs> As soon as he started playing and he started playing, I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And uh, so, yes, so everybody, you got an idea now of uh, the wonderful music of Simrit. And, uh, well, let's get an idea. Uh, you, I mean, if people read your bio, they'd go, wow, boy, there's some tough stuff in here. Um, obviously... A mother forced by family to give you up for adoption. I mean, most people don't come out of that very well. Uh, you were one of the most well-balanced people I've met recently. So, <laughs> but uh, do talk about that beginning for you. And um, I have to believe that that helped. I know for when you were a little girl, you were so interested in music and so on. Um, but that had to lead you into going further inside yourself to get at uh, the truth, shall we say. Most definitely. Um, I was just talking about this the other day, you know, when I do share my story, because I didn't share it for a very long time up until, you know, maybe two years ago. Oh, really? I didn't know. That. Yeah, I didn't share it because I didn't, I wasn't in the um, feeling that it would really, an understanding that it would really help other people and inspire other people because I was like, you know, I've done work with this experience in my life. And why do I need to share that with people? Like it, you know, I've done why I don't need to put that on anybody, but some really close friends and colleagues, business colleagues as well, really encouraged me to do that. So I started sharing a couple of years ago about it, uh, maybe two or three years ago, actually. Oh, no, I think it was just a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, I've done a lot of work on it since I was really young. So, you know, my mother was only 16 and she was a very well-known singer in Greece. And so I was getting the sounds of my voice and um, melodic sensibility since I was in the womb. 
And her mother was only 16 or 17 years older than her. And I've met both of them and it's a, we have a beautiful relationship. Um, but yeah, so in Greece at that time, uh, and, and I'm, you know, it's gotten, people are opening up more and more these days, but still, we're still, um, we're still uh, growing and evolving and we always will. But in Greece at that time, it was very taboo to have a child and not be married. And, um, and her family, my biological mother's family would not allow her to keep me because she was only 16 at the time. So she wasn't a legal adult. And so they said, we're making the decision for you because my grandmother had just had a baby in her thirties, you know, like they're only like 16 or 17 years apart too. So mm-hmm. in her thirties, she, uh, early thirties, she had a baby. And so her baby was just maybe a year or two old and she didn't want to have another baby to take care of. And my great grandmother also was about 16, 17 years older than my biological grandmother. And my great grandmother was a very well-known singer and actress in Greece. So, and she did more like um, Broadway style plays and things like that. But she was also a singer and did a lot of uh, beautiful underground traditional Greek folk singing. Hmm. So my grandmother's very well, my great grandmother is very well known in Greece as well. And she just passed uh, the year before I met my birth mother and my, and my um, biological grandmother. And I was really disappointed that I didn't get to meet her. Mm. Um, she was in her nineties. And, um, you know, I, from the moment I was born, Ragu, I was taken away from my mother. So I didn't have that contact with her uh, from the moment I was born. And they put me in a, um, I'm sure they cleaned me up and put me in one of those little plastic hospital beds that they put babies in. And I lived in one of those for a couple of weeks. Um, And they, however, they took care of me in there, the nurses did. And then I moved to an orphanage for about a year and a half to maybe almost two years after that, when my parents came and got me from the States. So my parents in the United States are full Greek. Their parents were immigrants from Greece and they couldn't have children. They tried for many years. So they got my brother first from a totally different family in Greece, a different orphanage, different mother. And then a couple of years later, they came and got me. And um, they they just wanted to have Greek children. Um, and, uh, you know... My parents were living in South Carolina. So growing up in a very strong Greek culture was very beneficial to me and helpful in my evolution. And I feel very fortunate that I was able to be adopted into a family that raised me. And mainly, I I also have a lot of Egyptian and Persian in me and a little bit of Sicilian. So I have all this this beautiful mix, but um, a lot of Greek and I was raised in my Greek culture. And that was a great fortune. And, you know, my mom told me, I remember shucking corn with her in the kitchen one day. I was about three and a half. And she looked at me and she told me a story about these children at the church that we went to. And she said, you know, they're adopted just like you and Taki, just like you and your brother. And I looked at her and, uh, she said, you know, they're adopted. They come from a different mother, but they went to a different family. And she kind of just generally explained it to me. 
And she allowed me to have my own process with it. She just was so nonchalant about it when she told me. And when I heard it, I was like, hmm. And in that moment, I remember that it was not a big deal to hear about that um, because I was adopted as a toddler. So I still have some memories of the orphanage that I was in, really? but I don't quite remember everything about flying on the plane back with my mom and all of that kind of stuff. And I also, Raghu, was very fortunate to be raised in an extremely loving family. So uh, even though being an orphan and being um, taken away from my mother at birth definitely had an effect on me, uh, it did cause me from a young age as a toddler, I already started talking with God out loud, asking questions about life and uh, me and my role and my place in this world since I was, you know, three years old. So I like to tell people that for me, being adopted is not a sad story. Um, I was very curious my whole life. I, I never felt a void, but I always felt curious and I always wanted to know where I came from. So I had this intense longing my whole life um, until I met my birth mother a couple of years ago. And um, that longing uh, was quenched in the sense of the kind of physical reality that I live. But I realized that that longing was really propelled by the adoption situation, the orphan situation, but it's truly the longing for the divine. And I was blessed with, I tell people, uh, you know, it's not, don't feel sorry for me because I don't feel sorry for myself. I feel that I got like a billion dollar boost in my bank account to start life with, you know, mm. with that experience because I was able to start processing um, life and questioning things and talking with God at a young age because of that situation. And it caused me to feel empathy with people so naturally because of the situation I had come from. And, um, you know, naturally when you, when you do go through challenging experiences like that, uh, you do empathize with other people's challenges and their struggles and things like that. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. But isn't it interesting how radically different two people can approach something like this? Yeah. And the kind of perspective that uh, they take on is given to them. I mean, here we get into the realm of, gee, karmas of many lifetimes preparing you for this was perfect, the million-dollar moment, as you say. Yes. Or somebody else just succumbing to the loss. Yeah. Yeah. What do, and the story it, and the story and the projections around it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do, um, I do attribute a lot of that to my parents. So I feel I had a great fortune of being raised by the people I was raised by. I feel that I may have not had that kind of situation if I'd stayed with my biological family. So my parents are both very independent, strong-minded, positive, loving people. And um, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything all the time or have even the same, like, you know, we just, we don't. But, you know, they taught me at a young age that it wasn't me that I would, you know, and they really made sure I understood that it wasn't me because 
as hard as it was for me to ask them questions about being an orphan and being adopted, because I always wanted to know all the details that I could find out. Because when you're adopted, you have this insatiable desire to know where you came from on the physical plane. Um, and as much as the etheric plane, you know, and so it's, uh, it's very strong. And I always appreciated seeing, um, blood relatives like, um, parents and their children or cousins or siblings. And I would always be in awe of how they looked alike or how they acted similarly. And, and I would, I would always get so tripped out about that. And I would always say something to them out loud, like, God, that's so cool how y'all kind of have the same walk or you have these same mannerisms, how you tilt your head when you do that. And they would be like, what are you talking about? It's not a big deal. And I was like, it's such a big deal. You know, I, I wish I could see someone that I looked like or that I had similar mannerisms to. So, um, yeah, you know, my parents were very, very honest and open with us about the whole thing. And whenever I had questions, they would answer them to the best of their ability if they knew. And um, the hardest part about that was me asking them because I just didn't want them to feel uncomfortable, you know? And uh, I think every adopted child feels that on some level. Mm. They don't want to be a burden to the parents that adopted them because they're so happy that they, uh, at least for me, I was so grateful to be adopted into such a beautiful family that loved me. And, um, the last thing I wanted to do was to, you know, seem ungrateful or whatever by asking them questions about my birth mother. And, um, but they were always so gracious when I did, you know, it always took me a lot of courage to do it. I was always so scared to ask them, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm such an empath too. So I'm like, Oh, I'm so sensitive to their feelings. If they feel a little awkward, I'm going to feel it. And just the whole thing, but they really, really helped with me um, kind of shaping uh, my, or they really helped me in my relationship with that experience. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, this is further proof of his, not that his holiness, the Dalai Lama needs this, but he always talks about our future is in the hands of our mothers. Yes. A compassionate, loving mother changes everything. And uh, children that come from that uh, kind of love and compassion in a human being and nurturing just are healthy and balanced and whole. And he says that's really our future. So this is an obvious uh, example of that, is it not? It truly is. And I also raise our son in that same way. We're very open and honest with him about life and our experiences. And we are very, um, we just love to tell him, you know, from our hearts, it's not a rote thing that we do because we feel like we have to. We genuinely tell him how much we love him. And mm-hmm. even though he's 15, we give him hugs and kisses. And <laughs> he loves it. You know, he's still a tease now, like a teenager and he's yeah. in his own space. But, um, mm-hmm. and he does feel very loved and he has a certain demeanor because of that. You know, mm-hmm. he feels very whole. Mm-hmm. He's comfortable in his skin for the most part. Um you know, he's awkward. He has the teenage awkwardness of trying to figure all of this out with hormones and <laughs> body growing and yeah, right. all that stuff, you know, but yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then uh, 
there was the different musical influences which really have informed who you are now and as an artist, no doubt. And one, one of them uh, is a natural, the Greek Orthodox, Orthodox choir church. Now, that's something else. I absolutely adore that music and spent some time in the Middle East, in, in Israel, actually. How I ended up at a Greek Orthodox church in Israel, I don't really remember, but... Uh, oh my God, you know, and uh, talk about, I mean, it has a, as you, as I've seen a, a darkness, but not a negative darkness. Oh no, that a mystical. Darkness, yeah. Mystical darkness out of which grows mm-hmm. just, uh, extraordinary sounds Yes, and, uh, connection again, an interior connection. So that, and alongside, and then I read where uh, piano, you were, and you started singing at five, but that makes sense. Uh, and then, then bringing in the piano and then uh, getting instructed in snare drum and <laughs> yeah. then moving into West African uh, drumming and uh, that, uh, and, and I love your, uh, your influences, of course, uh, I'm sure a little Bob Marley was there. Oh, so. 100%. Yeah, but then the dead in Motown and Led Zeppelin even. That, oh, I, I yeah. looked at Led Zeppelin. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. My One of my drum teachers is John Bonham. I mean, I didn't ever meet him in person, obviously, <laughs> but uh, I used to come home from school and I was in, you know, fifth grade and sixth grade when I learned about Led Zeppelin. I was in fifth grade and I... I started listening to them at my desk in my room and I would play the tape and (laughs) is that, well, we were just, CDs were just starting to get popular at that time, but there were still tapes. And um, I just remember playing the tape and rewinding certain drum fills that he did over and over. I just really loved his feel and his kind of like his swag, I guess is what, you know, the way that he, his style of drumming. And I would sit there and listen to it and play it on my desk over and over (laughs) and and play his fills and then play his drum beats for the songs. And so I've always been into drumming. And although I don't play drums in my band because we have an incredible drummer named Devin Ashley um, that takes care of that very, very, very well. He's a masterful drummer and very just classy and tasteful. I feel that, yeah, drumming would be my, that would be my second. If I wasn't singing and um, mm. playing keys and harmonium, I would definitely be drumming in some mm. form. Mm. You may see me in the future playing some hand drums on stage. For yeah, sure. yeah I, I bet. But, uh, I love that though. Led Zeppelin and your, your, your hero in Led Zeppelin, John Bonham, you know, usually it's Robert. Or, yeah, that's great. Oh yeah. boy. Oh boy. Um, so, but of course, the most, not the most, because I just love the sounds that you, you create with the band and your vocalizations and all of it. But of course, there's a deeper thing going on here that you're very much connected to and uh, kundalini yoga and and certainly mantra. Mm-hmm. It's, what you're doing, I, I think I said this to you off, off that uh, IG thing that we did. If I had still had my record company, Triloka Records, it was called, uh, you would, and if I heard you, I'd be running over to your house to try and say, come on, let's do some records together, because it was exactly what we did. Just, 
you know, the, the, um, the coming together of different traditions in a way that wasn't hijacking any tradition, but it was, each one served the other. And, and you know, that Korah and that, as everyone you, you all just heard, serving the voice and the uh, mantra, it's uh, pretty extraordinary. So we're really uh, in sync, you and I, on all of that. Um, but, yeah, let's talk about mantra because that's, uh, I, I mean, I do a lot of stuff on this podcast about just seeing if I can share with people because we do need to practice if we are going to get, you talked about that story that's in the head <laughs> that we tell ourselves this is who we are or just the habitual patterns that have been created by causes and conditions, which is why I started this whole podcast out saying, my, oh my, you really got some stuff thrown at you and turned it to gold. Uh, and uh, so... I still had to work that, work that through though. Like, yeah, don't get, yeah, you know, no. I don't want people to think, oh, it's just like, there were definitely, um, yeah, it was, it was work for sure. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely sure of that. Uh, but so I do like to share with people some of the practices that can just help uncover for us what it is that's uh, allow, allowing the hold of the mind and believing our thoughts and all of that. And mantra is certainly um, yes. a key part of it, has been in my life. Talk about uh, mantra and what it's meant to you and, and your own practice. That's such a beautiful question um, because I started singing mantras when I was in the church and it was different mantras in Greek, but same thing, you know, same vibe for me. I would be in the choir and then I would bypass my mind and I would go into the space of the heart just organically and so easily. It was so readily available through the voice and through music uh, and especially the vibe, you know, of the music in the Greek Orthodox Church. Like you said, it has that uh, very dark and not in a negative way, like you said, when we say that, but it's got that very dark mystical quality and I'm, mm. which very much appeals to me. And um, so I started, you know, when I was five and singing in the choir and um, and it was so natural and when I was 19, I started singing mantras and the first person, I think I must have been 20 at this point, that I started actually singing with in public is Bhagavan Das out of all the people. I know it's so well, wild, you never right? told me that. Wow. Yeah. So check this out. This is so wild. So he came to our, where I was in college in Charleston, South Carolina. And my now, um, he he ended up staying with um, some friends in Charleston. He actually ended up staying um, on the same island as me off the coast of Charleston. And we just had to cross this little bridge to get into the city. And so he ended up being there at a friend's house. And I, would, I went over there and um, we were chanting and doing some things. And I'd been chanting before I met him. Um, but he did a concert and um, at the theater at the College of Charleston, and one of my friends put the concert on and the drummer that was supposed to play with him, it was just him and his ektar. And the drummer um, was supposed to uh, be with him the whole time and not take any breaks during the kirtan. And he ended up not showing up. 
He didn't call anybody. He just didn't show up. And he, and, and the reason was he told everyone later, he just didn't feel, he was like, I didn't know what I would do or anything. So, so my friends knowing that I was playing African drums and knew that I was into drumming, they'd asked me, can you go get your drum and can you play for Bhagavan Das? And I was like, sure, no problem. I'd love to. So bring the, my djembe back and I just play this you know, I get on the stage with him. I'm coming late because I had to go back to the island to get the drum, come back. He had probably been playing for 20 or 30 minutes on his own. I walk up on the stage and start playing. And then we play for like two more hours, nonstop, no break. He doesn't talk. And I'm just playing the drum in between. This is very hypnotic beat. I'm sitting um, cross-legged and the drum's just on my lap. I'm kind of playing it like Doombeck style. And uh, after the concert, he said, I would love to take you on the road. I'm super <laughs> into this. And, um, you know, I started learning about him mm-hmm. before, before um, you know, that road opportunity would happen. And I decided I didn't want to be on the road with him. Um, but, you were uh, how old? You were in the early 20s or something? I was 20. 20? Yeah, I was 20. Good decision there, Simran. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I had uh, I hadn't read his book, right? And he was like, "Why haven't you read my book? You should read my book." And I just wasn't drawn to reading his book, so I didn't read it. Mm-hmm. But I had a lot of people talk with me about just what they knew about um, just how he was and uh, and how much he loved women. And so, um, and he was very open with me about that too. And I just decided it wasn't uh, wasn't the best. For me, I didn't feel comfortable with it, but we did do a show in Asheville, North Carolina together. Mm. Um, we went there and then I ended up, I drove to Asheville with him or rode with him. And then, um, which was just a couple hours away, we did a show there and I met a lot of beautiful people that I'm now friends with in Asheville to this day. And um, after that, he wanted me to travel more with him. And I said, no, that's okay. And that night after the concert, you know, I stayed with my parents. So I didn't stay. You know know what? So that was like really my first um, experience with mantra outside of doing it by myself um, Mm. or in the church choir. That was my first experience with a Hindu mantra and um, from the Hindu tradition. And I felt... Uh, I, I felt I got some kind of um, transmission, not necessarily from Bhagavan Das, but from the whole experience in general, uh, because when Bhagavan Das chants, it's really amazing. Like for me, I really enjoy when he chants. Um, you know, it was very, it had this mystical vibe, him and his ektar, and he just has this way of evoking this energy. Um, and so that was really, um, that was a really beautiful experience for me. Um, but I also got a transmission um, from doing it in the church as well, way before that. And then also um, when I was 19, I started practicing Kundalini yoga. And I started hearing a lot of the recorded mantras in the class um, that I was taking. And I was so into the mantras and something inside of me said, you have something that you could really contribute in a really powerful way with these mantras, you know, and they almost felt so similar to what I did in the church. It's just, you know, and I they felt are, like, yes. you know, the you only know one I, thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing going on. It's just different expressions, but yeah. it just felt so, um, it felt so natural to me. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, music and mantra also, um, separately and also together, but, um, 
both helped me to bypass my thinking mind and helped me to get into the heart very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, when I started studying Kundalini yoga and experimenting with Kundalini yoga, mantra is a huge part of it, um, the sound current. And I started getting into the study of Nad yoga and I started studying uh, Nad yoga uh, through the teachings of Kundalini Yoga and also through the teachings of Hazrat Inayat Khan, mm-hmm. who is one of my um, most de- near and dear teachers on this, uh, in, in Nad Yoga teachings. And so I started reading lots of books and listening to um, recordings, old recordings. I was a- able to access those or people would mm-hmm. somehow get them to me. They would just come to me. Like I just knew there was a strong connection. And so I started studying um, Hazrat's work uh, and have been for a long time now, almost 20 years, and have had uh, many teachers and mystics along the way that I've studied with in the realm of Nad Yoga and how it's um, not just the word itself or the mantra itself, but it's what's coming, you know, inside of the word. What's the intention? What is the energy of the person that's it's speaking the word or chanting the word or singing the words or whatever it is mm. and how that how that becomes magnified through uh, certain practices with the navel engaging the navel and the tip of the tongue and um, the meridian points on the roof of the mouth and the energy of a person and learning to recognize my energy and when i hear music where i feel that energy in my own body so that i can also assess when I'm listening to music or listening to um, mantra recitations, uh, how that affects my energy because also what kind of energy is coming through these vehicles, these people. um, And it's like that with instruments too, you know, people playing the instruments as well. And I, I truly feel uh, how, how well we can get out of the way um, and where we are energetically is really how is really what's yeah. going to come through. That is how well we can get out of the way is a mantra in its <laughs> yes. own. Yes. By the way, I am so glad that you, uh, and I didn't really, well, I should have known, Hazrat Inayakan, uh, oh, yeah. that I feel chagrined, actually. I have never, I'm so into music. I have been doing kirtan uh, almost my entire adult life since I went to India when I was, you know, early 20s. And uh, I discovered him basically, I guess, because we ran into Pir Vilayat Khan and Ramdas was friendly with him. And then I started reading. Uh, he, he was the epitome of this this incredible real guru that encompassed uh, that the sound was so prominent in in the teachings and just part of his fabric. He was just, uh, so uh, you guys that are putting this together, okay, this, uh, the show notes and everything, hate to diverge here, but you've got to find some wonderful connectivity to to his uh, his books and even music, I'm sure there's a way we can you can find that and share that with pe- people. So I'm so glad you you brought him up. Uh, the other thing I will say because uh, you're talking about Bhagavan Das, and of course Bhagavan Das is the being who took Ramdas to see Neem Karoli Baba. Without that happening, I wouldn't have found him either. I mean, obviously, it was all perfectly in line with what was supposed to happen. 
But I'll say also, because uh, it's interesting you had that experience with him playing, uh, doing kirtan and so on. So when I came back from India the first time, he was already back in America. I didn't meet him in India. and okay. But he came, we had this whole scene in Quebec where I'm from, and people would come and we'd have these big satsangs. And he came one time with, I think Ramdas was there as well. And... uh I absolutely got so much out of his approach to Kirtan and the depth that he could get uh, beyond that mind. And, yes, uh, very deep. I mean, it is so strange because he had other issues going on, as you've yeah. suggested. <laughs> okay, what to do? the divine feminine in all forms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is a, what karma, I don't know, for Bhagavan Das. But, but he truly contributed. And, uh, and I believe also with uh, Krishna Das, uh, who he did know in India and, and did spend some time with. So um, just, just to give that other side of, uh, oh, of somebody that we really uh, have to respect in the way that he yes. gave uh, what uh, he did for us in, in terms of being in India and being a conduit that way. Uh, but sure. how, and I, I love what I did with him. I love that experience, mm. by the way. And I don't think any less of it because of other choices that he makes in his life. I'm focused on, um, he has a, an incredible gift um, with you know, evoking energy and mantra and yeah. all of that and going yeah. deep. So I have a lot of respect for him in that regard. Yeah. So. I love what you say. We're going back to mantra that it's, uh, it's not spiritual. It's mm -hmm. practical. That's yeah. just the kind of, <laughs> I could have said that. <laughs> and it just, it just changes the chemistry. Like uh, my best example is the Hanuman Chalisa. Okay, so because we're all such uh, coming from Ninkaroli Baba, devotees of the monkey god Hanuman, and it you know was always weird to me. I wasn't into Hindu deities. I've said this a million times. I'm more uh, into Buddhism basically. And Ramdas said the same thing when he went to India. He was a Buddhist. He was you know that's why gurus what, and uh, so part of suddenly discovering him through Maharaji uh, was learning the 40 verses in praise of Hanuman, the Hanuman Chalisa in Hindi. Who can learn that? And, but somehow we did. And the next thing I know, this thing takes on its own life inside me in terms of what, what it does, especially if I'm in, and I mean, I do it every day, but even if, if there's some untoward vibrational stuff coming in and I'm vibing with it and can't quite, Hanuman Chalisa. And Maharaj used to say, this is every word is Maha Mantra of the Hanuman mm. Chalisa. Wow. And so this, uh, the, the reality uh, of, uh, it has not spiritual. It's practical. It changes the chemistry of the brain, you said, and the blood yeah. and the body. And it just, it just does that. So that involves, though, trust. And we won't talk about faith because faith is a little bit too, boy, our Christian, Judeo-Christian thing around faith is a little <laughs> too wacko. Uh, but trust has, is a good word. I love the word. I, I talk about it a lot. 
And that trust leads to an opening to intuitive heart space where, okay, I know this is happening. I don't know why with the Hanuman Chalisa. I don't know why. And I don't care. But you feel it, don't but you? It, you yeah, feel it. it's just, all you it's need. there. Yeah. 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 But uh you've talked a little bit about it. Uh, talk about uh intuition a little bit. I think it's a really important thing from your perspective. Yeah, I just feel strongly about it, and that, that is the most important tool that we have been given in this life is intuition. Uh, and listening to that. And we have to practice that. That takes a lot of practice and it doesn't always land. My um, my mind syncing up with that doesn't always land. Most of the time it does these days. And I'm getting better at uh, trusting uh, that voice and listening to the voice and being able to decipher if the voice is coming from the subconscious mind and a fear or if it's resonating in the body in this area. Um, that's you know, I think really important. Uh, you were talking about trust. And the thing is, is um, when we allow ourselves to have experiences and take ourselves out on a limb, you know, so to speak, I've had many experiences like that in this life where I could have died physically probably a dozen times mm. in this life. And, um, and it didn't happen. And from the moment I was born, I was somehow taken care of. And that gave me a really solid foundation uh, of trust in something greater than this, you know, small little mechanism inside of my skull called a brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that I got a head start with that. And that's what I said um, earlier. I feel like I, I was blessed with a million dollars or a billion dollars to start life with because there's no way that you cannot trust that something has your back. You know, when you have been orphaned from the moment of birth for almost two years, and then you come to a beautiful, loving family, um, and then you, you know, you go through challenges in life and all of these things, but no matter what, I've always felt love and whether it's from uh, parents or not, um, any part of my life, uh, I've always felt that feeling of love. And I've always felt because of that, I've had this deep trust. And for me, it has been very experiential. It has not been blind faith. And when I grew up in the church, from the time I was in grade school, I was questioning the church and questioning the indoctrination. And there were a lot of things that I didn't resonate with. And I would talk with a priest about it or my parents about it. I just, I didn't like that um, people couldn't take communion if they weren't baptized Greek Orthodox. I did not like that women could not be uh, pastor, you know, couldn't be priests. I didn't like that. I didn't like that we couldn't kiss the icons when we were on our periods, you know, like, because it was considered dirty. Like that kind of stuff is not the essence of of Christianity in my experience. And so when I go now, when I go to church with my parents, um, because when I go home to visit them, I do go to church with them. Um, it's a beautiful way that we connect. And I feel so much more connected with the essence of um, Christianity than I, you know, than the, um, than the dogma, than the kind of doctrine. And um, I think I've felt that just, you know, from an early age and musically, 
that translates into being able to improv and feel super comfortable with that and go also into these very ecstatic spaces um, when I'm chanting, uh, you know, and I, w- I wouldn't have been chanting if I didn't resonate with it. So I do, I trust my feeling about things. Um, and I've always resonated with it from the beginning, you know, from the time I started chanting in the church, from the time I started learning uh, Hindu chants, chants in Gurumukhi from the Sikh tradition and Kundalini yoga. Um, they, I just always resonated with it. And mm. I don't know why, but I, I have. And so I have trusted that feeling. And I feel that's really important, that kind of foundation of trust within ourselves and listening to our own voice and learning to be able to hear that in the first place and decipher, you know, that from the distractions of the mind. Uh, that takes practice. And I have many times have not listened to that voice and have paid the price for it in some way or another and have learned my lessons. And then <laughs> the more that I've kind of, you know, made mistakes because I didn't listen to the voice, the more I became more accustomed to the voice. <laughs> So yeah. it just is a process. And I think we all go through that as humans. Mm. And, um, yeah. But yeah, mm. trusting is, is I think, different than just blind faith. Trusting is trusting an experience, an experiential vibe, a feeling that we have from an experience and, mm. and moving with that. Yeah. And, and we can dispense with the don't know why. Yes. We are whying ourselves to death all the Ooh, time. Too much. Double thinking <laughs> and all of that. And... Yeah, it, it's trust the experience, it's, yeah. uh, and then you're going to make mistakes because sometimes it's a it's that uh, other judgmental voice or polarizing voice or a voice that's self serving and has a lot of motivation to it, uh, yep. and you make the mistake <laughs> and then next. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, so you know, I want to play another song before okay. we're going to uh, finish up here. Uh, and it's, um, I really love it. It's called The Keeper. Mm. I don't know. How did you come to that particular song? Wow, that one is one of my favorites, too. Oh, I see, I knew. <laughs> I love this song. I started playing these, actually, I, I started this one on the harmonium with the chords. Really? Oh. With just playing chords, because that's so... Uh, my relationship with melody is extremely strong. Ever since I was a little, you know, toddler, when my parents got me from Greece, they said I would always sit on the floor and sing. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming home from grade school, um, I'd have a little tape player that I could record my voice on, and I would sit in the corner of our living room and I would just record myself and I would sing songs like, I go to school, you know, and make like little <laughs> songs like this <laughs> and, then, uh, so and then rewind it. And no, I'm, I'm going to try that one again. And so I was in the recording process when I was in grade school and I didn't know that I was going to be doing this as a career by any means. But um, the keeper, um, it, it came to me as a melody in my, it comes through, it streams through the mind. I figure out what the melody sounds like. I translate it on the harmonium. Uh, or the keyboard or wherever I'm working, the guitar sometimes. And then the words started coming, submit to the storm, walk into the water. It just felt so good with the rhythm. And sometimes 
Um, what I normally do, Raghu, when I'm writing lyrics in English, when I don't already have the mantra that I'm working with, is I um, just the melody and rhythm always streams through so easily. And so like, it's like a faucet that's always open with melody and rhythm. And um, sometimes I have to mine the melody a little bit longer than others, but for the most part, it comes fairly quickly. And this is what happened in this song. I started playing it on the harmonium. Mm. And then I listened to how I'm kind of, ah, you know, that's kind of how I was singing it. And then it's like, wow, what does that sound like? The cadence and the melody. And then the words will usually come to me like that, mm. translating the way that the melody sounds and the rhythm mm. of the way that the, in the, the cadence, you know. So it's, um, that's how it came to me. And this one flowed very strongly in particular I uh, just came out of a situation. I was uh, studying with an elder teacher in Los Angeles at the time for three years. And it didn't feel like a healthy relationship um, energetically and emotionally. And I needed to remove myself from it. And so I did in this song was born, you know, after that situation. Mm. And it's all about embracing fear, not allowing fear to paralyze us but also, you know, taking ourselves, like we were saying, there's that trust, taking ourselves out on a limb, allowing ourselves, allowing our, our, ourselves to, you know, uh, I, I describe it as taking myself out on a limb, you know? Mm. Uh, and, yeah. So mm. this song was born out of, out of that time period. Mm. So, yeah. There you go, everybody. The keeper. <laughs> Submit to the storm 
Well, I have to say one thing uh, after listening to this, and that is the power of resilience in music. We are going through, I mean, you're sitting there. I bet you can't even go outside right now because of the fires and the smoke. (laughs) And, you know, I'm thanking you for doing this, by the way, because that's a lot of outside pressure that... uh, not to mention COVID, not to mention the election, not to mention the economic collapse and all of it. We we are really dealing with a lot. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we did a uh, a virtual retreat. We were supposed to do one in, in Maui, but we did one with uh, Bob Thurman and Anne Lamott and Sharon Salzberg and, and others, Krishna Das, of course. And uh, the theme of it was resilience, one of the themes of it. But... Uh, Loving and compassionate resilience, not, okay, i got to gird myself up for this shit, you know, not yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And to me, you know, listening to, to the songs, this song and uh, your m- music in particular lends itself to allowing the whole, in- whole of our insides to just let go and relax and just be in a place of spirit connectivity basically and not mind story doesn't matter anymore thoughts can just go and that is the power of resilience through music for me and i know for you and i know you share that and i know you even talk about resilience and, and and have talked about that in relation to music and um we need all of the tools that we can use to to get through this very difficult period. So I, I just have to thank you for your music, Simran, oh, and, and sharing this with people. And yeah, of course, there'll be all sorts of linkages that, you know, talking about some of the people we've been talking about, particularly Hazrat Inayat Khan. And I'm yes. so, I say that again, I'm so happy you, you mentioned his name even. And uh, so hopefully uh, everybody out there will you know, will all be able to share in that one place trust and yeah. resilience in yeah. these times through music and through mantra, sacred music. And not that any music will do something. Even a little, yeah. you know, a little dance music is good oh, for yeah. the soul. You know, it's not, oh. we're not, I don't want to be, precious about it if you know what i mean but there is something when you include mantra there's something that happens as we've been talking that bypasses as simrat said the mind and so you say you don't have to worry about what it is what it isn't it does it on its own it does you it does you that's right (laughs) i think we'll call this uh we'll call this podcast bypass your mind okay that'd be cool thank you so much again uh Simrit for oh. for being here and being with us and um we'll do this again we can uh, actually we, oh I know what I want to do next time let's do something like you be the DJ and pick oh, a bunch yeah. of music that we'll play we'll have to figure out how to do that with all of That'd the be super cups. fun I yeah, have so it? much beautiful music to share music from Africa you oh, mean like oh. music that I listen to or my you, own no you're well everything yeah your own yeah, but yeah. but yeah, yeah, music you love, music you oh, listen yeah. to, absolutely. That yeah. that's my career. When I just start before I went to India, I was a program director of a radio station, a rock and roll radio station in Montreal. Oh, so 
so, cool. I love doing that kind of stuff. That's where You're I met Ramdas. Yes, I am. Yeah. I love Montreal. We love playing there. Yeah. We have such Not in the winter, you never played there, did you? Not in the winter, no. no. In the winter, no. But we would come in the spring and sometimes uh, there would be a little snow or it would just be like freezing cold. It would be uh, like April or something. Yeah, right. Now we don't That's go to That's why I there. left. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a beautiful city though. Oh my mm, God. Yeah, so yeah. Truly is, truly is, truly is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh-huh. This is Mind Rolling uh, with Simrit. And uh, again, show notes will have all the connectivity so you can hear more of her work and uh, some of the other things we talked about. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. We have a wonderful array of incredible teachers and podcasters and thought leaders. So please do that and we shall see you next week. Namaste. 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 Thank you.